Good morning. It's a good problem to run out of uh, communion cups, and uh, I look forward to the Sunday where we run out of seats, and uh, that can happen through diligence and prayer, and uh, so we look forward to that day as well. It's good to see everybody this morning. I hope everyone has uh, survived well the, the winter apocalypse. Um, I think that it looks like we're okay, but thank you for braving the elements this morning. I know it's, uh, it's difficult when it's cold and, and it's, it could be dangerous. There's probably some black ice out there, so be careful uh, today and this evening. I want to begin uh, by offering a prayer for our sick. We want to remember uh, Marla Shelley, which we are so grateful to see her back in attendance and recovering well. We want to remember Carl Hopper, who uh, came through his procedure and is doing well. We want to remember Sandy, who's sick. And we also want to remember uh, Marilyn, uh, Phil McGovern's wife, who is in Kenya. And so we want to remember these folks in our prayers this morning. Father, thank you for listening to us. Thank you for hearing us. And Father, we're grateful to be warm. We're grateful to be able to come and worship you in this wonderful country. And Father, we lift up these names, people we love, people we admire. We're grateful for Marla being here and for her healing. And we just pray for continued progress. Bless her and bless the Freeman family. Uh, Bless Marilyn McGovern. And bless all of our number here and throughout the world. Help us to be the hands and feet. Help us to relieve that suffering. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, take them out. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 4 today, back in the Old Testament. And before we get into that, I first of all want us to think about fear. And what do you fear? And probably more specifically, who do you fear? And a lot of times when we start thinking about criminals... In criminal behavior, we get into our minds this dark and brooding personalities and someone generally that we think we don't know, right? That there's some type of criminal element out there that's dangerous, and we know that there are. There's danger in our world. There's people who thieve, there's people who kill, there's people who murder, there's people who rape, there's people who commit crimes in this world. And a lot of times when we begin to fear, we think of who these people are and we think they're cloudy. We don't know them, they're strangers. But it was interesting that a few weeks ago I was reading an article in the Tennessee about Nashville. And a lot of times when you read about Nashville, it's good stuff, right? You read Zillow's eighth hottest real estate markets. You see economic boom, Nashville. Place to move to, Nashville. It City, Nashville. Music City, Nashville. Songwriter Town, Nashville. All these different wonderful Things that describe our city. But this article was different. 
And it said this, 2017 was one of Nashville's worst years for homicide. 107 people killed in our good city. You say, well, that sounds about right. But think about this. In 2014, 41 people were killed. Now, that's over a 100% increase in just three years. Our greatest number of people killed in this city was in 1997 when 112 people were murdered. That's that word, murdered, killed, their life taken away. Think about that. And this year, this past year, 107 people murdered. In our city, in this city that we love. But there's two things in that article that really shocked me and disturbed me. And the first one was this, it said this, most of the alleged killers and victims were young people. Young people. People who were just beginning their life now. Number one, if they were murdered, it's over. And then second of all, now they've got a murder rap. Facing that. Facing life in prison. Facing even the death penalty at being a young age. That was the first thing that disturbed me. That the young people of our city are endangered and endangering each other. And then the second thing that shocked me was this quote right here. Listen to it. Only a few of the crimes involved a victim and a suspect who were completely strangers. So who do you fear? Who do you really fear? A lot of times we put that face and we say, I I won't know the face. I won't know the person. But the person that you should fear is maybe the person you know. That's what's happening in Nashville, Tennessee. How could someone do so such a heinous thing? You know, and, and killing someone may be the most egregious thing that we can think of because number one, it is in, in direct defiance to the author of life, isn't it? God created the life. God is the author of life. And here we stand in between that. We stand in defiance of that. We take hold of that. And we destroy a life. Another thing that we do is that we destroy the very image of God. Think of that. That when God created man, He said, in our image we will make man. So we degrade the very image of God when we kill someone, when we destroy someone. And what I find interesting is that when you read the account of the first murder, who's it between? Strangers? No, it's just like what you would read about in the newspaper. It's just like what you would read about in Nashville, Tennessee. No, it's people who know each other. And it's a story of two brothers. And if you real, turn with me to Genesis chapter 4 and look at it with me. It begins the story as two brothers, and the brothers are different. 
There's one that's older, there's one that's younger. It's Cain and Abel. And they have different vocations. It says in verse 2, Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstlings of the flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. So it begins this story of two brothers who are very different. Has anybody got a brother? Now when we say we, we probably wanted to kill them before, we don't really mean it, do we? But yet the first murder is between two brothers raised in the same home. And it begins also with, number one, the story of worship. Think about this. The story of worship, what's going on is that Abel offers something to the Lord. Cain offers something to the Lord. It begins with man's primary relationship, which is our relationship to whom? To God. And that's ultimately where it starts for all of us. It begins with God, that primary relation, our yearning, our seeking, our reaching forth. And no matter what, worship is something that all of us do, isn't it? Every person in this world is worshiping. It just depends on what you're worshiping. It's just a different God that each person has. Some people worship what? Sensuality. Some people worship possessions. Some people worship praises of men. Some people worship knowledge itself. But everybody is worshiping something. So what is it? And guess what? Who you worship and what you worship determines your fate. Determines how you live among other people. Determines how you live with your brother and with your sister. It says in Hebrews 11:4 by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained witness that he was righteous God testifying of his gifts and though he being dead still speaks Abel is still speaking to us today about what worship is and when we look at this passage we don't know exactly why Cain's worship was inadequate we don't know it was either two things. It was either what he offered or secondly, how he offered it. Those are the only two possibilities. Either he worshipped and offered something inferior or he offered something in the incorrect way through his heart. But it says that Abel, by faith, offered the more excellent sacrifice through faith. And the fact of the matter is that God desires our worship. And I appreciate all of you for being here this morning to worship God. It says in John 4, 23, But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God desires our worship. He wants us to be in relationship with Him. He wants us to commune with Him. And it's through, real, through worship that we can do that. Not only does God desire our worship, He also desires our holy living. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 12, 7, I desire mercy and not just sacrifice. Paul said that our lives are worship to Him in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He desires our lives to be holy like His. 
The story also gives us the nature of sin. Very descriptive. Look at verses 6 and 8. It says, After he offers these offerings, Cain and Abel, the Lord respects one over the other. And then, look at verse 6. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose against Abel, his brother, and killed him. The nature of sin. Listen to those haunting Harrowing words, it says, sin lies at your door and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Is that true for each of us? There is an enemy. There is sin that lies at the door. It's waiting, it's desiring for us. The enemy does. But God says, you should rule over it. You should have control over it. Ultimately, we're responsible, right, for our actions. But where did it begin? Where did his sin begin? It began within, didn't it? His inner life was corrupted by jealousy, by hate, by anger. It says he was very angry and his countenance fell. His inner life was corrupted first, and then what happened to his outer life? It happened to, it was corrupted. It's kind of like what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 35, a good man out of the good treasure in his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. Where does sin begin? It begins at the door of your heart and of your mind. And that's why your inner life of worship Your inner life of meditation, your inner life matters to the Lord. Sin degenerates everything. It begins small and it begins to eat everything in its way. Think about this, the Garden of Eden. It started with just a fruit. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. And now what's happening in the world? A a brother is murdering his own brother. And isn't that what sin does? It begins to eat at our lives like a cancer. It grows. It degenerates what's going on in our life and in our communities. Sin destroys our relationship with God. It destroys our worship. It destroys our relationship with others. It destroys our families. And we see this front and center with Cain and Abel. But then... Look at verse 9. The Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Think of the hypocrisy of Cain here. Think of the, the lie that he's saying, the duplicity that he's saying. He said, I don't know. And then he goes on to make some type of excuse where he says, well, I'm not, his, I'm not his keeper. He's saying, I'm not his keeper, but yet I'm his what? Murderer. He's far from being his keeper. He's the furthest thing from being his brother's keeper. He's nowhere near that. 
He's not his brother's keeper, he's his brother's murderer. Am I my brother's keeper? Are you your brother's keeper? And the answer is yes. That our lives are to be concerned with empathy and benevolence and to help others and to demand justice for others. Not just the brother of the flesh, but also brothers and sisters that are unlike us. We are our family's keepers, aren't we? God has charged the husband to love his wife, even as Christ loved the church. He's charged children to be obedient to their parents. Are we our brother's keeper? The answer is yes. Are we our neighbor's keeper? The answer is yes. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. When Jesus talks about the Good Samaritan at the very end, He says, which one was the neighbor? And He says, the one who showed mercy. And He says this, go and do likewise. Am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes. Are you your brother's keeper? The answer is yes. Even the brother you don't know. Not only are you not to to commit violence against the brother, but you're to do good to that brother. That's what it means to be your brother's keeper. Even the stranger. The one that we thought was the killer, right? That we're to be good to even the stranger. And if we don't love our str- the stranger, if we don't love our neighbor, if we don't love our brother, then how can we say we love God? Because it's impossible to say we love God and hate our brother, it says in 1 John 4.20. Am I my brother's keeper? What about the elder? What about the unborn? All of those people matter and I am their keeper and so are you. And we are to demand justice for them. We are responsible for each other. Life gives us interdependency. I like it the way that William James said it. We are all islands in the sea, separate on the surface, but connected in the deep. Yeah, it seems like we're separated. It seems like we're different. It seems like those people over in other countries don't, aren't the same as us. But you know what? We're all connected in the deep. Martin, Martin Luther King said it like this, We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. If someone kills someone, if someone hurts someone, if someone withholds help from someone, it not only affects that person, but it affects you. It affects your family. It affects everyone. We are responsible for each other physically and spiritually. That's why God has given us His great commission, because not only are we to be concerned with how people are fed, but we're also to be concerned with their soul. I'm reminded of that story of the prodigal son. Remember the young son finally gets home and the elder brother has some some choice words with his father. And he says this, but as soon as this son of yours came, who devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf, he removed himself from being his from being his brother. He said, no, it's your son, Dad. Not my brother. But the father responded, for your brother 
was dead and is alive and was lost and was found. God has called us to be our brother's keeper. And He's also called us to be people who demand justice. Look at verse 10. And He said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. The voice of the dead was crying out to God for justice. And God, in His justice, curses Cain. It says to be a vagabond, to be a fugitive. And of course, Cain says, I I can't bear it. That's too much for me to bear in my life. I can't bear being a a vagabond. I can't bear being someone on the run. And even Cain, a murderer, receives a provision of mercy. Sometimes we miss that in the story. We think about the curse, but it says that he would mark Cain to protect him from people killing him. That even this murderer receives a provision of grace and mercy from God Himself to protect him. Not only has God given a provision for Cain, who was furthest thing from his brother's keeper, He's given us a provision, hasn't He? He's given me a provision for my inadequacy, for my sin. And ultimately, that provision is in no other than Jesus Christ Himself. And when you look at the cross of Christ, what you see is that provision for that mercy. And not only do you see His love, not only do you see His mercy in the cross, but what you see also is His justice. That God is requiring justice and Christ pays that due for each of us. That Christ bears the mark. That Christ bears the penalty of yours and my sin. And it's through the Gospel and through obedience to the Gospel that I appropriate that provision. That's why it says that when we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into His death, into His burial, and into His resurrection. And it's through, his, through obedience that we have that provision. God is also a God of justice. And unless you're found in Christ... It says that we will stand for all the things that we've committed. So in conclusion, what I want to tell you is, number one, worship and holy living are important. That if we're worshiping God, it will affect everything else in our life. If we're trying to pursue holy living for God, it's going to affect our relationships and how we live with one another. If you're truly worshiping God, you're going to love your brother. You're going to love your neighbor. Number two, your inner life matters. The inner life of, of, of you shapes your words and deeds. Number three, we are each other's keepers. People who look like us, people who don't. People who live in this country, people who don't. We are each other's keeper physically and spiritually. And lastly, God is just and merciful, and Christ 
is our Savior? Have you obeyed the Lord? Have you been your brother's keeper? Have you been your sister's keeper? The life of Christ causes to live not only for Him, but to live for each other. To be generous in our time, to think of the least of these, to think of the lost, to think of those who are not doing as well as we are, and to be each other's keepers. The Bible says that if we want to obey Him, that we must believe. That it begins with faith. That faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. It's an awareness of what the world really is and the, the way that the state of affairs really is. It also says to take an honest assessment of ourselves and say, I am a sinner. And I want to turn from those sins. I want to repent. I don't want sin, sin to be lying at my door. I want to repent of those things. And I want to confess Jesus for being the Savior that He is. That He can save even me. And be immersed, baptized into His body, the church. Or maybe you're a Christian this morning and you don't feel as if you've been keeping your brother adequately. You haven't been a brother's keeper. Or if you need a prayer of encouragement or healing, whatever your need is, we stand ready to assist you. So won't you come now? As together we stand and as we sing.